man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Monday edition of PFT PM, smack dab in the middle of a slow time, but not a slow edition of the show today because we've got Amari Cooper, Cowboys receiver, joining me whenever I decide to throw to the interview because it's not live. We taped it earlier today, already making a bit of a buzz because of one of the questions I asked Amari Cooper. Plenty of other buzzworthy comments in that interview. I had 10 minutes and I did everything I could to squeeze the most out of that time. I like Amari Cooper. Good guy. Got dealt a bad hand in Oakland, at least in the final year there with the transition to John Gruden. And he didn't go out of his way to say anything negative about the Raiders. I mean, the bottom line is he needed to change his scenery. You'll hear him explain all that. That's coming up. And then I will answer some of your questions. And I ain't going for a full hour today, people. I know some of you out there want me to go for like an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And it's easy for me to say it right now, but I'm just getting started. I have a feeling that I'm going to end up going a full hour, especially because I already got about 10, 11 minutes in the can. This Cam Newton story. Now, look, as I pointed out at PFT, in the slow time, we don't choose our stories. Our stories choose us because we're looking for anything and we'll use anything to try to continue, number one, to feed the beast so that when you come to profootballtalk.com, you will have new content that you can read. And number two, whatever's going on is going on. And I'd rather it be, frankly, a story about Cam Newton offering a fellow traveler $1,500 for an upgraded seat on a flight from Paris than writing about Aaron Hernandez killing someone. So at least from that perspective, these are lighter, more fun stories. But bottom line is Cam Newton offered $1,500 in cash, tried to upgrade his seat in coach to the front row so he'd have more leg room, and the fellow traveler declined. As it turns out, an important note from Andy Slater, and yes, that's sarcasm, that Cam had missed his flight from Paris to Charlotte, on which he would have had a business class seat, presumably with more legroom. Although, I've sat up front, there isn't a whole lot of legroom, a whole lot more. The only thing good about sitting up front on a regional jet is you have that one row down the left side where you don't have to sit next to anybody. That's kind of good. And I'm sure the people who otherwise would be sitting next to me are happy they don't have to sit next to me. But I kind of like that. And you can kind of cheat your feet out into the aisle a little bit, but then you run the risk of getting stepped on and or tripping the flight attendants and anybody else who's coming back and forth down the aisle. But bottom line is Cam missed his flight. I guess that's the moral of the story. If there is one, don't miss your flight. Because if you set your flight up in advance and you've got business class accommodations, which Cam Newton had, then you don't have an issue. You get jammed onto a replacement flight, first class, business class already taken. And I'd like to know whether he previously was in first class on that flight, waving around the $1,500 trying to get someone to bite and no one bit. How much would it take? That's become a popular talking point for slow time radio talk show hosts today and Sims and I talked about that a little bit. Sims wouldn't take 1500 but he'd take 3000 10-hour flight, probably a little bit longer, from Paris to Dallas because the flight was Paris to Dallas, back to Charlotte, I assume, for Cam Newton. But even if it's 10 hours, $1,500 is $150 an hour. And it's tax-free. I mean, what are you going to do? Put that on your... 1040. I guess you technically should, although the transaction happened in Paris. Then you got to pay taxes there. What a pain in the ass that becomes. Maybe you should say no, because the more expensive it gets, the more of a 
bureaucratic problem it becomes from the st- I'm just kidding. Nobody's going to pay taxes on that stuff. But uh, maybe it's good that the person said no. There would have been evidence of it. Then they have an issue with the IRS and or the French taxing authority, whatever that may be. So important story. No. Helped us on a Monday. Yes. Thank you, Cam Newton, for missing your flight. Thank you, Traveler, for not accepting the $1,500. We should send the Traveler $1,500 for creating the story, for adding to the story. Because how good of a story is it if Cam Newton says, I'll pay you $1,500, and the person says yes? Not nearly as good of a story. More and more training camp schedules being announced, more and more teams making a bunch of camps open to the public making the Eagles really stand out as the anomaly here with only one open training uh, camp practice. We'll be here before you know it, too. One thing I've learned after being in this business now, this specific existence in the business of being at home most of the offseason and then sliding into that routine where I travel to Connecticut for Football Night in America every weekend during the regular season, and one weekend into the postseason, and then that one last weekend, wherever we end up going for the divisional round, if we go on the road. I'm very aware during the the slow point in mid to late June that it's not going to last much longer. And it's a weird... Now, these are definitely first world problems, trust me. And I'm not complaining about it, but the more I do it, the more I'm aware that I'm smack dab in the middle of it, and it ain't going to last long. And I try not to remind myself and try not to think about and talk about the fact that it ain't going to last long because I want to enjoy it while it lasts. And it's hard to enjoy it while it lasts when you're thinking this isn't going to last long. Which I guess is, again, if it's the worst thing you're dealing with, things are going pretty well. You know, I only have another few weeks of there to be not much work. And I've got the four-week hiatus from PFT Live coming up and... And that's going to be gone. And then it's going to be time to work again, even though it's not really work. I'll come to that realization as well. When the slow time ends and the training camps open, it's not like it's back into the mines, right? I'm not getting thrust into a steel mill in August where it's already 95 degrees outside. You turn it up by about 30 degrees when you go inside and you're wearing all that burlap and, and, you know, face protection and big giant boots and you lose 10 pounds every day. You show up just before lunch. So life's good. Life's good. Got no complaints. None whatsoever. Except for the fact the slow time's not going to last very long. I kind of like, I kind of like, no, no, see, because that's the thing. However long it lasts or doesn't last, you still know training camp's coming. You're still aware that that's coming. So just like, you know, the coaches, they're out there. I hope they can shut down. I hope they aren't as angst-ridden as I am while they're riding around on a speedboat or hanging out at whatever vacation home they own or in some other country thinking this isn't going to last long. Man, this sucks. This, this downtime really blows. I want more of it. Maybe it's time to retire. I haven't had that thought yet. I'm not retiring. Why would I stop doing what I do? I've been doing it long enough that I basically figured out the formula to do what I do at a moderately well level. And moderately well or moderately good? Who the hell knows? I'm not moderately well at figuring that one out. But why would I stop? Why would I stop? I'll keep doing it until either I die with my boots on or they throw me out of my boots. And see, when you have equity in the operation that is ProFootballTalk.com, 
I'll just keep going. I did it for free for several years. If I have to do it for free again, I'll do it. Because what the hell else would I do? What would I do? These questions are way too philosophical. I need some stuff to happen. Scrolling through PFT Live to see what else is going on, you will be hearing from Amari Cooper coming up in a few moments. Jalen Ramsey, the Jaguars cornerback, opted not to defecate on other quarterbacks like he did last year in an interview with ESPN. There's a shock. And I know why he chose not to go that route. Remember he explained to us when we interviewed him during the season on PFT Live that he didn't really understand how this whole thing works. And you put yourself into the position of a guy in his early 20s. Because what happens is the skilled, long-form magazine interviewers who come to wherever you are, whether they meet you somewhere and you spend the day together or they come to your house, they are very good at getting you to drop your guard and just talk. And for somebody who hasn't been through that before, especially at a fairly young age, and these guys in their first few years in the NFL are young, they don't realize the connection between what they say in what feels like a very relaxed and casual setting and how that's going to look when it's reduced to print. And Jalen Ramsey admitted last year that that was the biggest lesson he learned. You learn to be careful with what you say all the time. And the biggest challenge is when you... you If it's just like 15 minutes, you can keep your guard up. But if it's like a full day and they're with you that whole time, and they've got good people skills to the point where they get you relaxed, and you talk about this, and you talk about that, and they get you talking about yourself. That's the quickest way to get somebody comfortable in a setting like that. Just get them talking about themselves. Ask them a bunch of questions about themselves, and they start talking, and they get comfortable, and they think, hey, I kind of like this person. And the next thing you know, the guard is completely down, and then that's when the problem starts. And that's what Jalen Ramsey learned. So good for him that he learned it. And good for us that we had it last year. Could there be somebody out there this year who hasn't learned the lesson yet? Patrick Mahomes? Baker Mayfield? I have a feeling Mayfield already understands how that works. And I think Mahomes is smart enough not to say anything. Not that you're, I'm not saying that you're dumb if you give into it. But I think he's been scrutinized enough already. And he understands the intensity of the focus on him. I think Jalen Ramsey just got caught in one of those spots where he just didn't understand how it worked. It's like, okay, let me know when we're going to do the interview. Oh, okay, Jalen, I'll let you know. <laughs> I'll let you know when we're rolling. Yes, I'll tell you when the tape recorder's on. So uh, so anyway, we could, we could use one of those. I think back to the year of the lockout, and James Harrison did an interview with some magazine, and he just went off on Roger Goodell. I mean, and I, he never acted like he, he didn't know damn well what he was saying and why he was saying it, but... Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was memorable. We need more of that. We need some we need some controversy. We need something juicy, people. Spice up the slow time. There was a U.S. Supreme Court ruling today that the federal government may not prohibit trademarks on immoral or scandalous matters. Washington's NFL franchise was not a party to that case, but it represents a victory for the team because opponents of the team name have argued that they should lose trademark protection under the immoral or scandalous laws that have now 
been ruled unconstitutional. So bottom line is you can still get trademark protection for names that may or may not be racially offensive. Now, that doesn't mean that the name is okay. And if they had lost their trademark protection, then they would have changed the name eventually because what would have happened is anyone and everyone could have sold items with the team's name on it, diluting its ability to earn money. It would have created a business reason to change the name, change the name to something that is federally protected so you don't have to worry about people selling stuff outside of your stadium with your protected trademarks on them because they ain't protected. You can't shut them down. That's how the game goes. And when a team becomes popular in a local market, they invest resources in tracking down who is out there infringing on the trademarks and squatting on them. And there's an argument to be made that you have to do it because if you don't take steps to enforce your copyrighted and your trademark material, then you lose it. Years ago, when my wife and I were working up in Pittsburgh, she was working at a firm there where that was one of her tasks. When the Penguins first had their two Stanley Cup runs, all the places locally where they would catch wind of people who were infringing on Penguins trademarks, selling gear that went too far, she'd write up the cease and desist letter and make sure that they shut down. So that's how Washington's franchise would have been pressured into changing its name. It would have had nothing to do with giving in to political pressure. It would have had everything to do to giving in to economic pressure and the economic reality that they no longer could exclusively market items bearing that name and that logo. And look, folks, I I don't understand why people get so mad that I declined to use a name that a significant percentage of the Native American community is genuinely offended by. I still don't believe the Washington Post poll that supposedly closed the book on this debate several years back by finding that 10% of Native Americans are genuinely offended by the name. I think the real number is higher than that. But I think if it's 10%, let's just assume for the sake of argument that that number's right. 10% genuinely offended by a name that is a dictionary-defined slur. Charles Krauthammer, the late conservative pundit, basically said, hey, stuff happens. Times change. Language changes. It happens. There have been words that at one time were acceptable that evolved over time into not being acceptable. I could give you some examples, but I value my employment. I don't want to spice up the slow time that way. But we all know of words that at one time were fine. I grew up in the 70s. There were a lot of words that were fine in the 70s that aren't fine now. That's just the way it happens. And if anybody had named a sports team after one of those terms that were acceptable then but aren't acceptable now, they'd be in this same boat. And the best argument that I'd ever heard is that if you were starting a franchise now, it's a name you would never use. The only thing that is saving this franchise when it comes to keeping that name is the fact that it's been the name for decades. And it was the name before the word became a textbook defined, dictionary defined, excuse me, slur. 
And I just choose not to use it out of deference to the people who are genuinely offended by it. And it genuinely offends fans of the team who demand that I use the name. Well, why? Why do I have to use the name? And uh, anytime we mention Washington, oh, you mean the University of Washington? Like we've never heard that before. It identifies the team. So that's that. And I'll continue. It's been six years now. I remember when I first started doing it. It's like, am I going to be able to pull this off? I've been using this term my whole life of watching football. And it took a little while. And there was a period of time where, like, any time I would start to say Raiders, I would almost stop myself. But I've been able to do it. And I have not slipped in a while. Used to be like once or twice a year I'd slip. And then you slip and you feel horrible. It's almost impossible not to slip when it's just... It's commonly used, and it would be harder if the team was any good. If they ever become good, then it's really going to be a challenge because then you got to talk about them all the time. As it stands, we don't have to talk about them very much. If they suddenly figure it out again, if they have a return to the days of 1983, 87, 91, when they won three Super Bowls with the same coach but three different quarterbacks, that would be a problem. And I don't dislike the franchise per se. I wish that the guy who owned the franchise would realize that, you know, this isn't about political correctness around the muck. It's about doing the right thing. And when did political correctness become an offensive term? Basically, it's a nice way of saying, don't be an asshole. That's the easiest way to get through life. I wish I could remember who I, I saw somebody say that or read it somewhere or heard it somewhere. I think this is an original thought. I never have original thought. And I try to attribute the thoughts that I borrow from others. But the bottom line is, don't be an asshole. Like, like, wh- why do you want to have the right? Wh- wh- why is it so important for you to be able to just say whatever you want to say, even if there's a chance that it's going to offend someone? Why is that okay? Do you just not want to take the time to think about the things that you say that may or may not be offensive? You just want to say whatever comes out of your mouth? It's too hard to watch your tongue. It's too hard to be careful with the things you say. It's ridiculous. Just don't be an asshole. Life is so much easier if we all would commit to that. Don't be an asshole. When it deal, I mean, it's one thing to like, because I know a lot of the stuff that we do here, I'll, I'll have some harsh criticism for people and, you know, it's calling people out and they're, they're getting paid a lot of money and they're operating in the public eye so they can get called out on their merits. I'm talking about this kind of thing where there's a term that for at least 10% of the Native American population is genuinely offensive. I don't think it's all that unreasonable to ask people to not use it. And and look, I don't tell my writers to not use it. I It's a personal choice. But I'd like to see at some point the name change. And I think at some point it will. I remember saying in, 19, or in 2013... It's going to change at some point in the next 50 years. And then for 50 years after that, there's going to be a debate about whether or not it should have changed. And I just think it's a matter of time before that debate becomes amplified again. The, 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 the groups that have been trying to mobilize in opposition to the name, I don't know if they're not sufficiently funded. I don't know if they're not sufficiently organized. I don't know if they're not sufficiently effective, but it's very, very sporadic. And there needs to be a more sustained opposition. And you know what? The problem is, if there aren't enough people to get behind it, if there aren't enough people out there to support the cause with time and money, etc., it's hard to, to mount a challenge. And the other side of it, too, is 
it just seems like the more that there are protests and the more that there is attention given to that issue, the more determined the owner of the team becomes to hold firm. And it actually galvanizes the fan base. And yes, again, it's and, and it's funny. Uh, we had a couple of tweets about that today, and people were like, oh, you know, it's the slow time. They're talking about the Washington team name. Folks, there was a Supreme Court case today that that brought it into focus. This isn't a June 24 check-the-box situation. This is something that, again, at this time of the year, we don't pick the news. The news picks us. Speaking of picks, different kind of picks, interceptions, Jameis Winston, Clyde Christensen, now an assistant coach with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, told Albert Breer of SI.com that, uh, you know, he wasn't necessarily scared by the fact that Jameis Winston threw 58 interceptions in his first four seasons because other great quarterbacks had a lot of interceptions in their first four seasons, led by Peyton Manning, who had 81. Your first four years, you throw a bunch of interceptions, Christensen said. Almost all of them did. Matt Ryan had less, but they ran the ball in Atlanta. He went to a little bit better football team. You look at all the numbers. Winston had thrown for 14,000 yards. I just hadn't seen the Bucks on TV, and they hadn't won. So I wasn't aware of it, but his numbers were solid for a guy who missed a couple of games with injury, a couple of games of suspension. His numbers are right up there with all the others. What we would really assess as good players. And look, Jameis Winston in 2016 was an MVP candidate as the Buccaneers came on late in the season. They had a Sunday night game. It was a flexed game, Buccaneers-Cowboys. And if that game goes Tampa's way, who knows what happens with the Bucs in 2016 and beyond. The big thing with Winston, as we've said before, he just at times tries to do more than his physical abilities will allow him to do. And he does things that, that he shouldn't. And we've all been there. I know I've been there. Where you think that your body will do what your brain wants it to do, but your body says, oh, no, 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 no. I know you want to jump high enough to, like, you know, maybe touch the bottom of the net, but no, I'm not cooperating with that. I don't feel like doing that today or ever. Too many of those moments where Jameis Winston makes that awkward, ungainly throw or motion or it's like all of a sudden who replaced an NFL quarterback with someone who has no physical ability whatsoever. But that's what happens when you try to will yourself to go beyond what you're capable of doing. It gets very awkward. It gets very ugly. It gets very unfortunate. That's what they need to iron out of his game. If they can do that, he'll be great. And he can still be great. And and uh, I, I look forward to getting back on the Jameis Winston MVP bandwagon. I just think that the chances for him ever being in that conversation again are running out and I think if it's ever going to happen it's going to happen with Bruce Arians as the head coach just like Marcus Mariota who's been advised by GM John Robinson of the Titans to stop taking so many hits this is the year Mariota's got to show he can stay healthy and be effective or he's not going to be the Titans quarterback in 2020 Jameis Winston has to be effective has to avoid throwing the ball to the other team as Bruce Arians puts it very bluntly, as he always does, or he won't be back in 2020. All right, without further ado, here's a conversation I had earlier today with former Raiders top five draft pick, traded last year during football season, traded to the Dallas Cowboys. He is Amari Cooper. 
Joining us now, Cowboys receiver Amari Cooper, and he is here today as part of the Gatorade Beat the Heat program. The Beat the Heat program educates athletes across all sports about the importance of hydration during the hot summer months. And again, it is Amari Cooper. Amari, welcome to the program. How are you, buddy? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm curious. We're in that period now between the off-season program and training camp. How long will Amari Cooper go without catching a pass during the next five or six weeks? Uh, probably a couple hours while I'm asleep. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I'm always trying to catch passes. I even have, you know, a couple footballs in my house and I throw them to myself. Now, do you, do, okay, do you have a jugs gun that you use or uh, any other machinery or, or uh, do you have somebody who steps in and plays the role of Dak Prescott? What do you do when, when you're not able to go work out with your teammates and you have that itch to catch passes? Yeah, so when I'm, when I'm not able to work out with my teammates, I'll just, you know, call up somebody. I, I have a couple friends. Um, it can Sometimes it's even like high school guys to throw me a couple balls uh, when I need it. A lot of times, quarterbacks and receivers will get together during this period from the offseason program to the start of training camp. Any plans for Cowboys players to get together and, and work on the offense and uh, spend some time together in advance of training camp? Yeah, we're going to do that a um, couple weeks before training camp. Uh, we, we have a trip planned to San Diego to kind of get together and go over some of the offensive plays and just you know run routes and catch a couple passes just to kind of get us ready for training camp. Who picked San Diego? Dak. <laughs> Did he explain why he picked San Diego? Well, it was between there and a couple different places, but um, those were the options that he laid before us, and we kind of collectively picked that place. I've gotten the impression that Dak is really flourishing as a leader. Now, I know you've only been with him a limited period of time, but what growth, what changes have you seen from when you arrived last October until now? Oh, well, as soon as I got here, he seemed to have that leadership role down pat um he's really doing a good job with the guys um just motivating us and giving us those talks before the games to get us going um so by the time i got here he already had it he already had it down pat does it work when he gives you those talks before the games because i know with some quarterbacks guys are kind of maybe to themselves roll their eyes and maybe it doesn't work but but for dak it seems like it's real do you, does it really speak to you when he tries to get you guys fired up before the start of a game yeah you can definitely feel it um it, it seems like it just comes natural to him it seems like that's that's who he is that's the role that he was meant to have um with any team that he's on and so it's not something that feels forced or faked or anything like that it just it, it just feels like that's what he's supposed to do and and so yeah it's it's very beneficial for us has he has he said uh that that he wants everyone to go eat a w has that happened yet <laughs> that's the james winston <laughs> yeah yeah no i i get i get it uh no nah, he hasn't used that one yet <laughs> you know i thought for a second should i ask that question because i'm not sure everybody's familiar with eating a w but i'm glad that you uh, you recognize that one amari you had a lot of w's at alabama and nick saban one of the great coaches of all time in any sport um is there one thing that that stands out from your time with nick saban that's kind of still comes to mind today a coaching point motivation anything from coach Saban uh yeah I mean he's he's a great coach he's all about he's all about winning um and one of the things that I learned from him uh from afar I would say is just what goes into actually 
winning and being the best that you can be. Um, he's a really diligent guy, really studious. I mean, he's the first one in the facility and he's the last one to leave. I think the guy sleeps like two or three hours. And um, he really puts in the work um, so that we can go out there and actually be the winning football team that we were. And uh, ev- not everybody is willing to, to put that work in. I get the impression that makes it easier when it's time for Alabama players to make the transition to the NFL because you've already been essentially working for an NFL coach in an NFL-style program where everybody is all in and everybody does put in the effort and the time and the work. Yeah, it's a, it's a very easy transition. Um, you know, you might hear, might have heard a lot of guys say, you know, coming from Alabama that the NFL, the, the regiment, it's, it's kind of less than what we had to experience at Alabama. So, definitely does a great job in training us for the next level. Amari, I think one of the hardest things for anyone to do in the NFL is change teams at the receiver position during a season and make an impact getting thrust into a new offense. How were you able to come in and do so well? You know, while while the train is moving, you jumped on board and and you had a strong season to finish out the year with the Cowboys. How were you able to pull that off? Yeah, I mean, I just put all my energy and effort into actually coming in, learning the system, and, and playing well. And I just had a will and a want to come out here and just prove myself uh, and just show uh, my teammates and the coaches and the people that traded for me that I was actually, you know, worth the trade. And I think that's how I did it. And, you know, and nothing against the Raiders, but I just feel like sometimes guys need to change a scenery and it can flip that switch and it can make all the difference in the world. And I know from, from afar – Chris Sims and I, looking at your situation last year, it kind of looked like it worked out perfectly, that that change of scenery was just what you needed at the right time. Are, are we right when we when we come to that conclusion? Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever the circumstance may be, it's, there are certain reasons why, you know, one place might not work for a guy and another place will. Um, and I think the change of scenery was really necessary. I really honestly um, don't think if I were to, you know, stayed at the Raiders last season that I would have been able to flourish and, you know, reach um, some heights that I was able to reach as a Cowboy. So it was definitely necessary. What do you think was holding you back in Oakland? Um, I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know how to answer that question. Well, I mean, and, and I know it was the first year with a new coach, new offense, new approach, and sometimes the comfort level's just not there. Did, did you just feel like it wasn't a good fit for you? Yeah, definitely. I don't think um, it was a it was a good fit for me. I don't think I was really able to showcase uh, my skills there for whatever reason, um, extenuating circumstances. You, know, you I, I'll call it extenuating circumstances, but for whatever reason, I, I just wasn't able to kind of reach my my heights. And I kind of knew that I needed to be going um, in order to do some of the things that I really wanted to do as an NFL player. When did you first come to that conclusion? Um, good question. Um, probably, probably last year. Yeah. Early on in the year, uh, I felt like there are things that I wanted to do out there on the field during the games. Um, certain plays that I wanted to be called certain routes that I wanted to run that just weren't a part of the game plan. I feel like the Khalil Mack trade also kind of sent a message across the entire organization that anything can happen, anything will happen, and other guys may be traded. Did you get the sense that 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 kind of sent shockwaves through the team that any of us could be gone at any given moment? 
Yeah, of course. After the Khalil trade, I mean, it was like, um, here's a guy who's a very dominant player in this league, and he's proven that one of the best players in the in the entire league, and you trade him away. So, <laughs> what what makes anyone else feel like they're safe and that they're not tradable? Um, and that was kind of the sense in the locker room. Did you ever ask to be traded? I did not. No, I didn't ask to be traded. Did they ever tell you they weren't going to trade you? Uh, no, they they never. Um, explicitly told me that they they weren't going to trade me. Uh, in fact, I only had heard about, about trade rumors like, you know, maybe two weeks before I was actually traded. Um, so, in that time span of two weeks, no, they never came up to me and said uh, you you wouldn't be traded. Not me, and specifically, my they told my agent that. Amari, I mentioned earlier you're here today on behalf of the Gatorade Beat the Heat program. Tell us more about it. Tell us where we can find out more about Gatorade's Beat the Heat. Yeah, you can. Um, find out more about it on the Gatorade website. Um, but I'm just here to help Gatorade uh, educate athletes across all sports about the importance of hydration um, during these hot summer months uh, and to give them a few safety tips um, about how to attack that. Well, and we'll also check out, I think the YouTube channel has more information there as well. One more before I let you go. And I'm not going to ask you about your contract. I'm sure everybody wants to ask you about your contract. I know that's something your agent handles on your behalf with the Cowboys. But how does Amari Cooper keep from letting this unsettled contract situation become a distraction for what it is that you need to do? Well, I just approach the game how I've been approaching it. Uh, You know, I have uh, a set goal and what I want to accomplish for the season. Um, I just want to be the best player on every field that I step on, and I do the things necessary um, for me to accomplish those goals as far as um, putting in the, the necessary work um, to do to actually do what I set out to do. Um, and I don't even worry about the contract. I think that will take care of itself. Um, I have some really good agents who um, have been in this position a lot of times who have gotten contracts um, for, for guys done, and that's the reason why I hired them to do just that. And um, So I don't, I don't worry about that. I just worry about playing football because that's my job. And performance results in numbers. And you had 1,000 yards last year between the Raiders and the Cowboys. I assume your goal this year is at least 1,000. What's the next number? One comma what? What what, what are you shooting for? Uh, you got to put a two in front of that. Two? <laughs> two. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean two comma? You're talking yeah. about 2,000 yards? Yeah, that's the goal, man. Well, that's, that's a hell of a goal. Hey, Amari, nobody's ever done that before. So uh, that's one hell of a goal. And we wish you the best as you embark on that. And I, hey, listen, I don't doubt anybody's got big goals. And I look forward to seeing you embark on that one and uh, the Cowboys on their team goals. And good luck with everything that you, you've got going on. Congratulations on all your success. And we look forward to talking to you down the road. And if you get 2,000 yards, I, you, def, I, well, I probably, you probably won't talk to us then uh, because <laughs> you'll, have, you'll have requests lined up out the door. But hopefully we can get you back on the show if you get 2,000 yards. (laughs) You will. I'll promise you that. All right, Amari. Take care, buddy. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again to Amari Cooper for some of his time for including us on his Monday tour on behalf of Gatorade's Beat the Heat program. Important for people to know about hydration. Important for coaches who are responsible for these kids to ensure that heat does not become a factor because heat can kill and unfortunately, we've seen examples of it over the years. One example is too many. When you, what was the kid at, at uh, Maryland last year that died during workouts? I think it was a heat issue. Corey Stringer, 2001, heat issue. This is all avoidable. So uh, 
and even though it's easy to be cynical and say, oh, well, you know, Gatorade's trying to sell its product. Well, whether it's Gatorade, whether it's water, whether it's anything, you got to stay hydrated. All right, question time here. And we'll wrap up this Monday, PFT, PM. I said it's going to be less than an hour. We're at about, I don't know, 40 minutes. So good luck with that. PFT, PM Posse with Jalen Ramsey dialing back his talking this offseason. Does that mean we are going to get a less entertaining version of him? I think his brashness is refreshing. We don't want him to start giving boring, expected, say-nothing interviews. Quotes already addressed this. This was Jalen Ramsey finding himself in a spot where he didn't realize that these things he was saying were going to be used against him later. I think he'll still be entertaining. And the bottom line is, I think he'll still be effective on the football field. And that's all that really matters for the Jaguars. PFTP and Posse, why do the outlandish goals that players set for themselves like 2,000 receiving yards make news knowing they always say things like that and or about this is a Super Bowl team. They aren't realistic, nor are they realistically plausible most of the time. It makes news this time of year because, again, you don't pick the news. The news picks you. And I was surprised because I said to Amari Cooper, what's your goal? You got one comma. What's the next number? Because we know a thousand's a given. He got a thousand last year. Of course, he wants to get a thousand. What is it? 1,500, 1,700, 1,300. What's your goal? And he said, that first number's a two. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. Look, the thing about having lofty goals, lofty, unattainable goals, if you can convince yourself the goal is realistic and you're going to go after it, it's 125 a game. It doesn't sound like much when you think of it that way. 125 yards a game. And he's had some big games. If you can just have a big game every week, if you can do 125 or better every week, if you just average 125, you can do 150 one week, 100 the next. If you average 125, you're getting to 2,000. And you push yourself hard to get to 2,000. And at the end of the day, oh, I only got 1,700. That's still a good year. 1,700 is still better than Randy Moss or Terrell Owens ever did. So I got no problem with that. And yeah, it becomes news. And it becomes news because people want to ridicule him. Oh, Amari Cooper, what the hell has he ever done? He wants 2,000 yards. He's barely gotten halfway there, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I like the fact that the guy's got goals. I like the fact that he gave us something to talk about on June 24. This is typically, between this week and next week, this is as low as it gets, right? This is at least a full work week. Next week, we got 4th of July smack dab in the middle of the week. I'd prefer to have 4th of July on the weekend, folks. Because the weekends in the summertime are slow anyway. Now you got a couple of weekends, one in late June, one in early July, with July 4 right on the freaking Thursday. At least it's not Monday, July 4. Monday's our biggest day of the week. Because what happens is people don't do anything by way of working on the weekends. And they're out doing recreational activities. So they're not into their phones or into their computers as much as they would be. So on Monday, they, they hey, would we miss? Unfortunately, this weekend, the answer is not all that much. You missed Cam Newton <laughs> trying to pay $1,500 to upgrade his seat on a flight from France to the United States. PFTP and Posse, more and more teams are taking advantage of joint practices during training camp. Is there a point where the NFL ditches preseason games in favor of charging for and televising joint practices? I don't know that they would charge for those or televise those. I don't know how compelling they are, but... Intra-squad scrimmages and joint practices could end up supplanting preseason games if and when the NFL Players Association is willing to expand the regular season from 16 to 18. And I still can't get a feel for whether or not that's truly negotiable for the NFLPA. They've done a good job of making the NFL think that they don't want to do it. Is it that they don't want to do it? 
Or is it that they're posturing for the best possible deal when they say, okay, fine, we'll do it. But I don't think we see reduced preseason and thus more joint practices, more intra-squad scrimmages. I don't think we see that until we see expanded regular season. Tom G. Post. If Bill Belichick wins a Super Bowl without Tom Brady, does that affect your consideration for who's the best quarterback of all time? Well, you know, we had assumed Joe Montana was the best quarterback of all time. And we still assume that, I know I had Montana as number one, 4-0 in the Super Bowl, clutch moments, turned around a franchise. I didn't think any less of Joe Montana when Steve Young won a Super Bowl. Now, it wasn't Bill Walsh by the time Steve Young won the Super Bowl, but still. You could say, oh, it's the West Coast system that Bill Walsh put in place, blah, blah, blah. I don't think it takes away from Brady. But it will be an interesting sociological football experiment to see what the Patriots do or don't do once Tom Brady is gone. I'm not buying this whole system quarterback argument. And Sims and I went back and forth today. Look, here's what, and I think Chris appreciates how I've handled this because I think it's bullcrap to accuse him of trolling or clickbait or trying to gather attention for himself. I think that's BS because, number one, I've known him and I've worked with him for two years now. That's not how he is. He doesn't do that. He's never once suggested, as we discuss topics for the show, that, ooh, that'll be good. That'll get people going. He just talks about what he believes in. He's never, ever made the argument that we should take a certain angle or discuss things a certain way in order to generate more interest. We just organically talk about the things we're interested in, the things that we think are worth discussing. And if it creates attention, so be it. And if it doesn't, so be it. We try to, we again, we don't pick the stories. The stories pick us. Now, it's easier to pick the stories or be picked by the stories when you are in that, that uh, window where there's a lot more going on. But, uh, you know, the point I made today on the show If this was all about clickbait and attention and trolling, at some point from 40 to 11 on the Chris Sims list of the top 40 quarterbacks, there would have been something more controversial, but there wasn't. There wasn't. There was nothing. The most controversial thing he'd ever said before Tom Brady at nine was having Blake Bortles at 72 years ago. And he put him there because he believed it. And he put Brady at nine because he believes it. And think about it. Brady's going to be 42. The fact that he's still in the top 10 in this golden age of quarterbacking is astounding. Would I put him higher? Yes. Do I think it's ludicrous to put him at number nine? I don't think it's ludicrous. I disagree with it. I definitely don't think it's because Chris Sims is trying to generate attention for himself or for the show. PFTPM policy, what does the Supreme Court ruling on the clothing company FUCT mean for the long term of the Washington football franchise? Uh, uh, it means nothing. It means, it, it means, I mean, look, the name was never going to change because of this legal business pressure. It's only going to change if and when there's an owner of the team that chooses to change it. I don't think it's going to change on Dan Snyder's watch. I don't see it ever pushing to that point. And actually, the team would, would, would be hurt by a resurgence because I think the more popular they are. Think about this. If there's ever a two-week period while we're getting ready 
for the Super Bowl and Washington is the NFC representative, I think that is the kind of moment that will coalesce opposition. It helps Snyder to have the team be mediocre to bad because whenever the team is relevant, that's when this debate is going to get dusted off. I mean, think about it. The debate became a thing right after the the great rookie season of RG3. That's when it first hit. So if they ever would have a great team again, if that ever happens again, and I know Washington fans, you feel like it will never happen again. If that ever does happen again, then I think they have to worry about increased political and PR pressure and fan pressure to try to change the name. For now, though, the fact that the team isn't very good, the fact that the team isn't highly competitive, I think insulates it against the kind of pressure that would land right on top of Daniel Snyder if and when we were in that two-week build-up to a Super Bowl and his team were in it. Tree True, will the length of Tyreek Hill's suspension impact whether he's a free agent? Could he file an injunction? I... I think you have to play in six games to get credit for that fourth year. So if he's suspended more than 10, I think it would allow the Chiefs to squat on him as a restricted free agent in 2020. I think that's true. If it's a 12-game suspension, the Chiefs would have the ability to use the RFA tender in 2020, I believe. I have to confirm that. There's something that's causing me to say, don't go all the way on the limb and declare that. But I think that's the case. We saw that happen to Josh Gordon, not getting that year of service toward free agency if you don't play in at least six games. That happened to Josh Gordon multiple times. One of the reasons why Josh Gordon right now restricted free agent and signed his RFA tender with the Patriots, even though he was drafted seven years ago in the supplemental draft. Now, whether or not Tyreek Hill can file an injunction. Now, we've seen between Tom Brady and Ezekiel Elliott, the NFL has the power here. Whatever they do to suspend Tyreek Hill, yeah, I mean, he can try to pursue legal action, but he's wasting his time. And here's the other thing, too. If you're going to be a plaintiff in a civil action, if you're going to try to change the status quo, you better be sympathetic. Tyreek Hill, he's not going to be a sympathetic plaintiff. Because he's always carrying to the table, no matter what he does, no matter what he tries to do, no matter what happens to him by way of an NFL suspension. 2014, month of December, choked and beat Crystal Espinal when she was pregnant with the child that's been at the center of the more recent controversies. Good luck getting courts to give you justice when there's this lingering sense an injustice was done. So I think he'd be wasting his time if he tried to take it to court. I think whatever suspension he gets, he needs to take. I saw an item from The Athletic today that was more speculative than anything, that Tyreek Hill could be suspended next month. Yeah, he could be suspended next month. Of course, that's when you would do it. You're either going to put him on the commissioner exempt list or you're going to suspend him before training camp opens. And the fact that the NFL apparently is, not apparently, they've told me this, they're waiting to interview Tyreek Hill because the Action is proceeding within the confines of Child Protective Services. Who knows when that's resolved? And the longer it takes to resolve that is the longer it'll take for the NFL to finally talk to Tyreek Hill. And at some point, it's Commissioner Exemplist. And it's coming. And then after that, the question is, how long does he get suspended? And I know that there are some 
zealous and ardent Chiefs fans out there who believe that barring conclusive evidence that he broke the three-year-old boy's arm, he can't be suspended. Well, we've written about this. We've talked about it. He can be suspended for making threats to Crystal Lethbanol, which he did. You need to be terrified of me too. Remember that? And he could, in theory, be disciplined for creating an environment in his home that was deemed sufficiently unsafe to justify the child being removed from it. And the mere fact that the NFL is waiting until the Child Protective Services procedure ends tells me they're interested in determining what kind of an environment Tyreek Hill created for his son, which means that he may very well be disciplined for that and suspended for that. And the aggravating factor of what happened in December of 2014 could make that suspension go higher. But Chiefs fans continue to plug their ears and say, la, 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 not listening. Well, keep doing it. And then act surprised when you find out how long he's suspended. And then blame me for being at the front of the line saying, you know what? That Mr. Hyde that revealed himself in December of 2014, based upon what we heard on that audio tape that landed on everyone an hour before the draft began in late April, that guy's still there. Sean Alvishire, if you had to rank the top five movie gangsters, who would they be? I'm reluctant to do this because, and and I finally finished the Five Families book by Selwyn Rabb, and and you know there was a point near the end that it hit me that lifestyle still continues because there is this strange media and film fascination with it. That if that fascination wasn't out there, maybe people would not choose that life. But it is fascinating. And I went straight from five families. I've gone from wise guy to five families to Donnie Brasco. The story of the FBI agent, Joe Pistone, who became an undercover agent and was embedded in one of the five families and basically took it down from the inside. So all time, so with that disclaimer and with the idea that the glorification of the lifestyle probably isn't the best way to get the lifestyle to end. Here are the top five movie gangsters. My favorites. I, I mean, three of them are from Goodfellas, right? It's just a matter of how you rank them. I, I would say Tommy, then Jimmy, then Henry Hill. There's three of the spots right there. Now, should Vito Corleone jump one of those three? Should Michael Corleone jump one of those three? I don't know. I'd have to really think that one through. That one's even more complicated than figuring out whether Tom Brady's a top five quarterback right now. But the five for me, without ranking the five, would be the three main characters from Goodfellas plus Michael and Vito Corleone. I think that's pretty simple. Mike likes dirt. Please don't stop doing PFTPM. I started listening the day after the Patriots lost to the Super Bowls or lost in the Super Bowl to the Eagles and have listened to every episode since then. We come to PFTPM for the football. We stay for your humor, insight, and wisdom. Keep waiting for some of that. I, God, I really want to stop doing it. I really do. I really want this hour in the afternoons. And then and then I get these, oh, please. And, and oh God, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. Sean Alvishar, do you think Hillary Swank is hot or not? Thank you. Another another uh, office reference. Stake CSS215, do you think the Eagles rushed to sign Carson Wentz to put more pressure on the Cowboys with Dak and basically forcing them to tie up more money than the Eagles at quarterback? I don't, I don't think the Eagles were that devious. I think they just wanted to get Carson Wentz signed, and it was cheaper to sign him now then if they wait it and he has a great year and he's the MVP and they win another Super Bowl, then the price goes through the roof. Both sides were 
We're making a bet here. The, the Eagles were paying the money, betting that Wentz is going to be great. And I think Wentz is hedging based upon the possibility that he, he gets banged up and he doesn't earn that money. Say, uh, Tyler Furness, who's the most underpaid player not on a rookie contract? I'd say Cam Newton. Cam Newton's only making $20 million a year. The market has rocketed past Cam Newton. And I can't remember if he was ever the high, he was never the highest paid player in the NFL. Because I think the high water mark was $22 million or so when he signed his long-term contract. But the top of the market in just two months has gone from 20, or two years rather, not two months, two years. Slight difference. From $25 million to $35 million. And here's Cam Newton around $20 million. And I don't know what David Tepper is going to do by way of signing him to a new contract. I think how he performs this year is going to go a long way toward determining whether or not that happens. Jared0514, is it smarter to start Josh Rosen from week one or make him sit the first four to six weeks? We, the Dolphins, have a bye week five. Um, oh, and Chris is taking a lot of heat for the Brady ranking when in all reality he should have been lower. I say 11 to 14. Wow, there's a Dolphins fan. Gee, I'm shocked that a Dolphins fan would put Tom Brady lower. Ranking him low isn't going to make him go away. You still got to deal with him for at least another year, maybe longer. I just put Rosen under center from week one. That's the only way you're going to find out what the guy has and whether or not you commit to him as your franchise quarterback. At Gong Show West, have you ever seen the version of the Godfather trilogy where the films were re-edited so the entire saga unfolds in chronological order and about 45 minutes of scenes not in the theatrical versions were incorporated? I have not seen that. I... I, it just it's too long and Godfather 3 wasn't very good Dean Osborne 42 everything else aside if you had to draft Favre or Rodgers to quarterback your team who would you plump for I <clears throat> probably Rodgers probably Rodgers I'd try to put a better team around him and I would definitely try to have more imaginative coaching around him than what he's had Dean Osborne, 42. Any updates on the league's request to get a new September, a new CBA done by September? Um, I may have some information on that coming up. I think it's a long shot to get it done by September for a variety of reasons. I don't think it'll happen by September. Maybe it happens before the Super Bowl, but I don't think it happens by September. The league would like to have it happen, but I think as a practical matter, when it's time to actually put the cards on the table and accept or not accept whatever offer is made, I don't think the league's going to want to pay to get it done by September 1. Because there's going to be a price. Because the, the NFLPA's got no urgency. So, hey, league, you want to get this done by September 1? Pay me. And I don't think they will. I don't think they'll give up extra to get it done. They won't do a premium to get it done. Dr. J144, in your opinion, how long do we need to know if a quarterback is the guy? I think about Mariota, Winston, Dak, et cetera. And to some degree, I think it's crazy that after years of watching them, the team still don't seem to know if they should stick with them. I think three years in today's NFL is the maximum. Used to be five. It became three. You'll know within three years whether or not he's the guy. And then the question becomes, do you have somebody better that you can replace him with? Now, some teams, like the Dolphins with Ryan Tannehill, will decide to wait a little bit longer to see whether or not the guy skews the right way. But he rarely does. I think within three years, you know. Then the question is, do you want to admit your mistake and move on from the guy? Or do you compound your mistake by doubling down, paying the guy because, hey, he's our guy. He's the guy we draft. We're going to try to will him to be better than he's ever going to be. Now with Dak, they, they know he's the guy. They just have to figure out how much to pay him. With Winston and Mariota, the Bucks and the Titans, respectively, don't know. And they're trying to find out. I think, they, I think we already know. And I think if either guy has a great season 
and ends up getting a long-term contract, he's going to revert to what he was before this. Fittison Kane, could the NFL be trying the Florio method of screwing up this replay stuff so badly we just say, screw it, put it back to how it was? Yes, that's the life lesson I learned while cutting the grass as a child, that if you screw something up really, really badly, you'll never get asked to do it again. I just don't think that's what the NFL wants for its 100th season. And I haven't spoken about this yet. We wrote about it at PFT again. I haven't spoken about it on today's PFTPM. I, I, I really am astounded by a couple of things. First of all, the Al Riveron sessions with the various networks are supposed to be off the record, but we've seen a disclosure from Mike Giardi of NFL Media and a lengthy disclosure from Rich Eisen of NFL Media, NFL Network, of what Al Riveron told the NFL media contingent when they had their meeting with him to go over the rules changes for the coming season. We have ours coming up in late August, and we will get an admonition that it's off the record, but this one clearly wasn't. And I think it's fair for the other networks, including NBC, to say, can ours be on the record too this year? Now, I don't know whether it was on the record or whether it wasn't, and some people took some liberties, and now they've got issues internally, which is entirely possible. I, I, I'm just, here's what I'm troubled by. The new procedure that they're putting in place, if it applies as our Riveron seems to think it will and think it should, it is going to go too far. It is going to overturn rulings that shouldn't be overturned. So in the name of fixing and preventing another Rams-Saints debacle, we are going to have many more situations where there's an extended review and they're going to change a ruling on the field when they shouldn't have. And there's going to be a line out there that's going to be virtually impossible to find. And don't blame me. I wanted the NFL to come up with a new procedure to prevent, again, what happened in the Rams-Saints game. I wanted Sky Judge. I want someone who's a member of the officiating crew who is watching the angles that we all see at home and can talk to the referee and say, drop the flag or pick up the flag. And is a member of the crew not replay review, a member of the officiating crew who benefits from the perspective that we all see bridge the gap between what we see at home and what the officials see on the field. That's what I want, and that's what they need to do next year. And I hope that when they come out and emphasize that this system is the system they're going to use for this year, I hope that that's a clue that next year it's going to be Sky Judge. Panthers Austria, are you aware of any other business outside the sports world where the top employees like quarterback and earn 10 times more than the CEO like the GM? I, I, I don't know what like movie studio executives make, but it's an ungodly amount that the stars get for the films. And, and I, I assume that the studio executives get just as much. So I can't think I don't know of another one where the workers make more than the people who run the organization. I agree with that. Now, the commissioner, if he's the ultimate CEO, he's making more than anybody. <sighs> Let's see what else we have. I got I got to wrap this up. I got a meeting coming up and it's already been more than an hour. <laughs> Recliner QB when Amari Cooper said not now in relation to being the highest paid receiver, could that be an indication he wants to do a short-term deal and come back to the table in like two uh, plus or minus years, possibly, possibly, or he's just, you know, he just doesn't want to be perceived as greedy. I think Julio Jones has said he doesn't need to be the highest paid receiver in football. He doesn't want to be perceived as greedy. It's up to the agent to make those arguments. 
All right, I need to wrap it up. Uh, uh, I got, I, I got, I got to, I got to do something before my meeting. Sorry, nothing like having. See, I, I specifically set this today because I knew I had something at four o'clock. I should have set it for three thirty, and then it would only be a half hour. You got your full hour, okay? I didn't want to do a full hour. You got it. We'll do another one later this week, Tuesday or Wednesday. Maybe only two this week. Maybe two, maybe three. We'll let the news decide, right? The stories don't pick us. We pick the stories. Wait a minute. We don't pick the stories. The stories pick us. Whatever the hell it is. PFT Live will be on tomorrow. PFTOT will be done tomorrow. We've got more of the Chris Sims Top 40 Quarterback Countdown. I don't think any of the remaining choices are going to create the controversy that Brady did. We'll be around the clock at ProFootballTalk.com where we don't pick the stories. The stories pick us. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Have a great day. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.